as humans, we want to plan our lives. We want to plan out where we want to go, what we want to do, what we want to be when we grow up. And that's very normal. But we also know as Christians, sometimes God has a better plan for us. Today, I am interviewing Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her journey from being a high school home ex, home ec teacher to becoming one of the leading women in Congress today. Strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Hi, I'm Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, and I am joined today by a spectacular leader, a faithful woman of God, who I've been friends with for a number of years. And so welcoming, welcoming to the show, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler from the great state of Missouri, who has been a prayer partner, has been um, just a, a support and sister in Christ. And I am just so excited. This is the first time I've had you on Concerned Women today, isn't it, Vicki? It is, and I'm so excited to be with you, Penny. This is great. So you've served in Congress for 11 years and have had just an amazing career in Congress. And we'll get to that in just a second. You've been a powerhouse on the pro-life issue. You've been a fighter, a stalwart for conservative women. But I wanted to go back. Tell us how you got where you are today. Like, well, how did it start out? Did you always know you wanted to serve in Congress? Well, not in Congress, but I did ask Jesus into my heart when I was nine, and I was making mud pies soon after that on my front sidewalk, talking to God, asking him, what, what do you want me to be when I grow up? I knew I wanted to be a wife and a mother, but was there something else I could do to make a difference for him and for others? And I thought of a couple of things, and I thought, nah, I don't want to do that. And then the thought came in my head, you could be a state representative. And I thought, yeah, maybe that's something that I could do. And I kind of forgot about it. But as I look back on my life, I was always drawn to politics after that. If I was walking through a room and the TV was on, the news was on, I'd be paying attention. If I was in high school and there was some um, elected official that came spoke at my organization, I'd be paying attention um, and my friends would be bored to tears and I could hardly <laughs> wait to go to the state capitol and tour it. Uh, so when I got married, I told my husband that, you know, maybe someday I might want to run for state representative, but I always assumed I would be a senior citizen and it would be after I'd retired, after our kids uh, had grown up. And so I wasn't expecting to be only 33 and have only taught school 11 years have no children at that point and uh, to be called one night while I was grading papers at home and and to have a man ask me to run for state representative and I I, my, I honestly at first said no I, I just um, just thought I don't know anything about campaigning it takes money we're a farmer and a teacher we don't have money and politics is a dirty business I had gotten to visit the state capitol um, when I was in college and it was a very disappointing day uh, the day I was there I was pointed out several people who were supposedly having affairs and alcoholics and this sort of thing. And I was just really disappointed and discouraged. And I thought, I don't want to have a thing to do with that place. But it did plant a seed in me that it shouldn't be that way and that we need good people to step up and run who are of faith uh, or else that's all we're going to get. And so I did finally agree to when he said, would you think about it? Would you pray about it? 
I said, okay, I'll pray about it. And uh, I just became convinced that God was calling me to run after that. And we didn't know if it, we were going to win, but I ran and we did win. And I believe God gave me a ministry uh, that public service can be a ministry. And in Romans 13, it talks about those in authority. And it says, for he is God's servant or some versions of the Bible will say he is God's minister to do you good. And he doesn't bear a sword for nothing, but he also is an agent of God's wrath to punish the wrongdoer. And that's, I believe, the basic mission of most elected officials is to do people good and to have law and order to keep people safe. Uh, the problem we have nowadays is what is the definition of good and what is the definition of wrongdoing? We have too many people serving in office who call evil good and good evil. And that's where we need people of faith to run for office. And so I was thankful to serve six years in the Missouri House, did get to become a mom, and so chose not to run for re-election, went home, uh, joined the Concerned Women for America from a letter I received in the mail from Beverly LaHaye before you, Penny. But she, I, I read about this organization of conservative women who believe in prayer and action. And I thought, that's me. And so I joined and been a member ever since. And uh, then was asked to run for Congress nine years later. And after a lot of thought and prayer, really believed it was what I was supposed to do. And we ran against a 34-year incumbent, chairman of the Armed Services Committee, and we prevailed. So I feel so blessed. Oh, my goodness. Everything you said there hit home and brought back memories. Uh, I was also kind of the weird kid in that way. I remember going to my state rep's office in Frankfort, Kentucky, and being so drawn to what they were doing there, the important decisions that were being made. I sat with my dad in the city council meetings because my dad was taking on pornography in our teeny little town, and not everybody loved him for it, let me just tell you. And just being like my eyes being opened, and I was the weird kid watching C-SPAN in college. <laughs> my friends were like, <laughs> you are so weird. But, it, you know, it meant a lot. And then, of course, like you, the pro-life issue was a great catalyst for me recognizing just the importance of speaking for the least of these. And like you said, politics and policy is and can be a ministry for people who are called to it and people who are unwavering. And certainly that's been you. I know I've said this to you before, but I, it does break my heart. And I'd love for you just kind of to address it directly. You know, you had that feeling when you're sitting uh, in your state capitol and people telling you the dirt on this representative and that representative, you know, that politics is dirty business and that Christians shouldn't be involved, that we just, just need to share the gospel and, you know, everything will be fine. Well, the truth is, I believe that if we are going to protect the church's ability to share the gospel and that we can protect the least of these, that Christians have to be involved and public policy, and certainly we're learning the importance of them being on their school boards. I'd love to hear what you think about that. No, we're called to contend for the faith and to be salt and light in every arena. And we do need Christians at the table, helping make those decisions. Thank goodness we had Christian men and women back at the beginning of our country who are willing to stand up and to say no to Great Britain, we're going to have freedom, including freedom of religion. We want to be able to worship as we please, and we're willing to help form this nation. Thank goodness we had pilgrims, a whole boatload of Christians willing to risk their lives, and half of them gave their lives once they got here with the vision and the hope of having a country that was based on faith. And that is our founding, but it's up to each generation to protect that. 
And now it is our time to do that. We cannot cede it to people who do not share those basic values that uh, our nation was established on. We have to be there. And too many times we're playing defense as people of faith. We wait till we have a, a verdict or something come out of the local school board we don't like, whether it's CRT or whether it's inappropriate sexual material or you fill in the blank. And then we all show up at the school board meeting, which I'm thankful parents are doing that, weighing in, that's great. But I think the next step is to take the school board back, to run for office successfully and be at the table to begin with, to go on the offense, and then we won't have to play defense so much and try to get people to reverse their decisions. We can have people there making those decisions to begin with to ensure that we have an accurate history being taught in our schools, that we don't have inappropriate material being shown to our, our children, and that faith is included as part of our history story because it is a big part of our nation and shouldn't be excluded from education. You're right about all of that. I mean, truthfully, think about the amount of damage that is done before parents even catch on what's happening, right? I think about in Loudoun County, the little girl that was assaulted in the bathroom mm -hmm. by a, pre a sexual predator, and, you know, perhaps he was posing as transgender in order to get access to her in the bathroom. I suspect he probably was because that's what predators do, right? They'll do anything to get to their victims. And then they sent him to another school and he assaulted another little girl. So what if we'd been on the front end of that? What if Christians had taken over that school board early on, had run and won and we supported them? By the way, you can't, you know better than anybody you can't do it by yourself. In fact, I want you to tell people about your book in just a second. But I just think about the fact that, to your point of Christians abandoning institutions, I'm so against that. In fact, in the Washington Post today, there was a piece about uh, a new school that's being started. And I'm always happy for, uh, you know, new educational institutions to crop up. It's one in Austin, but it's by conservatives who are fleeing, you know, these secular educational institutions, they've been run out. I'm not okay with us giving up because then our kids have to be educational refugees. And we've, you know, as a family, as the Nance family have run into that firsthand. I'm not okay with that. I think that we have to urge, in our case in Virginia, our new governor, Glenn Youngkin, to appoint to the uh, Board of Visitors the right people who are right thinking and, you know, to the public institution boards. And then, uh, uh, to your point, you as Christians, we need to run book, for Vicky, that, that I've read. And, um, and for anybody that is listening right now, that thinks perhaps they're being called or maybe earlier on in, in their youth, you know, thought maybe, maybe this is what the Lord wants me to do. But as they pray about it and think about it, I'd love for you to tell them a little bit about the book you wrote a few years ago called Running God's Way. Yes, you bet. And we need people to run for library boards. Oh, yeah. And, and city councils and county government and all, all areas of government for sure. But I did write a book called Running God's Way, Step-by-Step -step to Successful Political Campaign to encourage and equip people of faith to how to run successfully for office. And it's based off of uh, my successful uh, years of campaigning. So it's very practical how to do various things, how to do a parade, how to go door to door, how to raise money, how to give a speech. But it, it, additionally, it also uses God's word as the basis of that, because the Bible is the source for wisdom and knowledge 
for having succeed in life, not just for eternity and salvation, which it certainly does point everyone to how to do that, but how to have happy marriage, how to have a, a successful business. It's everything. And I found these scriptures one night when I was reading and I thought, oh my goodness, this is the steps to campaigning right here in the Bible. And then uh, God birthed the idea for the book. And so we wrote this book. It's called Running God's Way. Please get it yourself or get a whole box load and be like uh, Bill Day, who was the elderly man that called me when I was a teacher that night and encouraged me to run and go out and recruit people. Take just a few minutes before that school board filing period opens and say, God, who do I know that I could encourage to run for office? I don't feel led to do it myself, but who might I encourage to run? Approach them or give them a call. Say, look, I think you'd be great to run. Here's a book on how to do it. I'll support you if you run. Hey, I'm with you. And you know, go out and recruit others. Let's take back our country. I agree. And you made a really important point there. And that is we need Christians to run at every level, the local level, all these, you know, other uh, elected boards rather than just school board, which is very important. But I, I think it's, an, there's, it serves another purpose. You have to like, you've got to play, you know, farm league ball before you're ready for the major leagues. And Vicki, I know you probably run into this. We've never talked about this, but it happens a lot to me where I'll have someone call me up and say, God's called me to run for governor. And I'm like, okay, well, so what have you, what have you done before? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you, do you know anything about raising money? No, I don't know anything about raising money. And like, you know, they, they just think like an endorsement, my endorsement's magically going to, you know, make it happen. And maybe, you know, God wants them to run for another reason other than winning. And that, that might be true, but I think there's a lot to be said for like learning, right. And to be willing to take that first step before you go straight to the major league, so to speak, um, and run like you did, like you went and, and ran, you know, on the state level before you actually ran for Congress. And actually I should tell our listeners, you're running for the Senate now. In Missouri because Roy Blunt is retiring. So what, what do you have to say for that person that's thinking about it and like, no, I want to go to Congress. I mean, I, do you feel like that it was helpful for you to like to learn as you go and to, again, yeah. play the farm league before you went to the major, so to speak? Well, it was, uh, but I will say I served with several people in Congress who never served anything uh, before in a public office they were leaders in their community. They were uh, successful in the military. They were business people. They were doctors and they ran and they were successful here. So you have to listen to God. But I would say you need to have a track record of showing people that, first of all, you care about them and that you serve a, a, a record of service. So it could be local organizations, your church, other things where you have done. And that also builds your network of people, you know, because as you said, Penny, you cannot run by yourself. Right. You've got to put together a team and a movement of people who believe in a cause and together you win, but you've got to have volunteers. And so by mm -hmm. being involved in the community at work at church, then you have a, a, a pool to draw upon of friends who know you, who trust you, who believe in you, who will come alongside you and who, who will help you. And when I researched the book, I was struck by how the liberal organizations do purposely build a farm team mm -hmm. for eventually running for Congress or for president or whatever. 
uh, they go out and recruit and they have candidate schools for local uh, elected office. So whether it be school boards, county office. So they purposely, the pro-choice people do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, others do it. And then they build on that to further recruit for the state level and on up. And we uh, are flat footed, to be honest, I think as Christians, there is not as much of an organized effort to go out, recruit, build up candidates and put them in office at all levels. And we, we need right. to get better at that. It's true. And in fact, we don't even tell people to run, right? If anything, it's the right. opposite. And so I really feel very strongly that that is an area that CWA needs to lean into, and that is calling yes. particularly Christian women to pray about it and make sure, right. you know, if you if you happen to be married, certainly, you know, talk, that needs to be a decision that as a couple you make, because it is, as you can testify, very hard work. You don't get elected by just a whim, like it takes a ton, all that you're talking about, all the door to door all the fundraising, like it is really hard work. So you've got to be all in. And I think it is really important as a family. It's just like when I came to CWA, um, I talked to my husband ahead of time. I was like, you know, we really prayed about it as a couple because we knew it was going to be a sacrifice for both of us. And I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah, it really is. It's like serving your nation in a different way. And it's, it's certainly not like the military where they have deployments for, you know, nine months or a year or whatever, uh, but in Congress, you know, I leave every week. And, and so I've gone three or four nights a week away from the family and then and back and forth. So you do miss out on some, some things, but you know, whom God calls, he enables and God is also faithful. So know that too. If God does call you to do that, he doesn't call you to do anything where he is not there with you and he'll make a way. Uh, but it isn't uh, always easy. Like you said, I had a, a, a friend that said, just because God calls you doesn't mean it's easy. No, <laughs> and that's, that's true too, but he helps you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I wanted to mention that the Leadership Institute, who's an organization we work with a lot, has a candidate school. So again, for people read Vicki's book, Running God's Way, I assume it's available on Amazon. And go to Leadership Institute's website and go to candidate school. If you're serious about this, prepare yourself, right? Just like Esther did. She didn't just walk into the king. Well, she walked into his chamber, but she invited him to banquet. She was prepared when she did it and had the conversation with him she needed to have. God expects us to prepare ourselves for that important moment. So um, so anyway, I just thought that was really important to mention that, that there are resources, there are uh, people who can train you to do to run because it is it, certainly very difficult. Let's switch to policy, Vicki. We're hearing a lot and we've been working here internally at CWA on the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, which I have, should point out. And I think this is so great about you. You went from being a home ec teacher to being on the House Armed Services Committee. I mean, that's not a little thing. You are very high up, high ranking on that committee and have a lot of authority and we're, we're very grateful for it. We love our troops at CWA, we support our military, we have a lot of military members, wives, parents, everybody that are, that are our supporters. But I am concerned because there is at least one provision and maybe more currently in the circulated drafts of the National Defense Authorization Act, there may be pro-life concerns, which I guess we're looking into, and I'm not, we're not 100% clear. I'm not sure anybody is yet exactly on how that all works. But 
we do know that there's concerns over selective service requiring women to register, basically register for the draft. I just wanted to get, to get whatever insight you had into that. Yes, that uh, amendment was offered in committee in the House uh, Armed Services Committee while we were marking up the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, I spoke against it, uh, but we did lose that vote. And so it is currently in the House version of the bill. Uh, I'm working to try to get that out at the next stage of the bill, which will be when we go to conference, the Senate will be uh, debating their version here. Well, I'm not quite sure, but well, hopefully in the next week or two. But I think it's gonna be equally uh, difficult, although they may have an amendment to strike it on the Senate side, but regardless yeah. at conference, there's gonna be tension. Right. Yep, yep, there will. And I will be part of the conference committee. And uh, since I'm ranking member of Tactical Air and Land Forces Subcommittee, so I will be at the table. Uh, but I'm already starting to discussions with my fellow members saying, you know, this is not a wise idea. And there's several, several reasons. First of all, I don't think it's needed. Uh, and over the century that we have had the selective service, it's only been used 35 years. It's been over almost half a century since we last had the draft. And we now have the strongest, best, most professional fighting force in the world that is all voluntary. And that part of the reason that it is so strong is because people want to be in there. They are of a professional caliber and they use this, they make a profession, a career of it. And we are so grateful and proud of them uh, for that. So there's really not a need for this draft. And the main reason the sponsor of the bill seemed to want to put this in there was because of her desire for women to be equal and to have equality. And so she's trying to use this as a women as a political chess piece in order to make some political point when when it is not needed. Uh, so I've argued against it and I am going to try to just say we don't need the draft at all. We don't need the selective service. It's an archaic, outdated system. So why don't we just eliminate the whole thing? So there's no draft for men or women. I have two versions. I've introduced legislation, one to totally do away with it. The other one would put it on ice, which it was back 1975 to 1980. Gerald Ford put it on ice where people didn't have to register. There's just an office uh, somewhere. And in case you needed it, it could be stood back up. So I'm going to be pushing and hoping that maybe we could get one of those versions and also, it's just a not a good use of our tax dollars. It costs $26 million a year to, to prop up this system that isn't needed, and it's not even functioning. And we are facing China, North Korea, Iran, um, Russia, you name it. We could better use that $26 million in other places to meet the threats that we are facing or to make sure our current all-voluntary force has the equipment that they need, the training that we need. We don't need to send it to an empty office and certainly don't need it to prove that women are equal. As I said in committee, women are equal and have been equal for a long time, equal in worth, equal in value, equal in opportunity. You don't have to force them to go to war to prove they're equal. And just to make the point here, we're not talking about women who want to serve, who volunteer oh, absolutely. To serve, or even in, in combat, because women are in combat now. We're right. talking about forcing women to serve. At 18 to 26-year-olds signing up for the draft, by the way, 
there's many women who at that point, especially later in their earlier in their twenties or late mid twenties that are already moms. Right. So yeah. key childbearing years, you know, it's this like lack of distinction between the sexes that the other side's really after. That's really what this is about. And we do not believe the military should be sex blind any more than any other institution because we are equal, but we are different and we welcome and we embrace those differences. And so that's the one point. The other point is as much as we don't like it, we got to admit that the government has an incredible amount of data on all of us. And if they need to get in touch with us, they certainly will. So right. I don't know that selective service signing up, signing a form when you're 18 is at this point necessary, considering that the government has everything they need on us, including our social security numbers or whatever. So it is a little bit perplexing, but the key thing is if the, if the government, the, the woke people within the government who want to push women into force, into conscription, if that's what you want to do, then we think perhaps we need to rethink the whole thing. Yeah, I, I agree. And the public is with us on this. In fact, uh, support for women having to be as part of the selective service system and be drafted has dropped 20 points uh, in the last five years. And currently there's only 45%, less than half of Americans think that's a good idea. So, you know, it, it, we don't have public opinion to do that anyway. The liberals don't. I mean, let's just, you know, continue with the system we have without females or do away with it completely. Uh, we have, for instance, 17 million males now between 18 and 25 years old. Uh, we have about one and a half million people in the armed services right now. So even if you double the size, there's plenty of, of males that have already signed up uh, that could be you know, called upon. And I feel confident in an actual large scale war that both men and women would voluntarily step mm -hmm. up and serve. And I'm, I am very grateful for the 17% of the military now is women and I support them and they're do phenomenal uh, roles to keep us safe. Uh, but you know, it's voluntary. So we don't need to change the system. Uh, we don't need to start conscripting women it's not necessary. It's a poor use of our tax dollars. And uh, there's there's better ways to address threats. Well, Concerned Women for America will be standing strong on this. And we're working on the Senate side. You're working on the House side. So just wanted to bring it to the attention of our listeners. Ask for their prayer. But before we go, and you've got a lot to do, thank you so much for your time. How can we pray for you, Vicki? What can we be praying for you as you go back to work? Well, thank you so much, Penny. I uh, certainly would pray. I, I appreciate you praying about this issue because I'm at the tip of the spear in these negotiations, trying to get some common sense here in this national defense bill, the final version. And so as it relates to women in the draft, uh, just pray for success and favor and wisdom and how to do that. Uh, but also we have this large bill. Uh, they call it the reconciliation bill, build back better, whatever you call it. I call it build back Beijing bill, but uh, over trillion dollars that's going to be coming up potentially this week. And it's a terrible idea. So if we could pray against this wasteful spending, that's going to stand up more 150 new socialist programs, uh, raising taxes and spending money we don't have, we need to pray that that, that is defeated. Amen. Well, we will, and we'll pray for you, Vicki, and just again, thank you for your service, and thank you. It's, it is like a deployment. You've done such incredible work. I had a great clip that I played of you 
about you standing for life and standing for little babies on the house floor. And it's just so beautiful to see a woman, a strong woman stand there and, and speak up for these. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your work on life and thank you for being a, a, a great Christian leader. Well, it's an honor. And thank you, Penny, for all that you do. It's wonderful to get to be friends with you and uh, to serve in this way, serve the Lord in this way. So thank you so much. That's all we have today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us at Concerned Women Today. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.